Well, hello, everybody. I'm Will Marshall, president of the Progressive Policy Institute, and uh, I want to welcome you to today's PPI podcast with a very special friend of ours, and that is uh, Representative Susan Del Bene, of, uh, who represents Washington's first district, which uh, stretches all the way from Seattle to the to the wild Canadian border. Uh, and uh, Congresswoman Del Bene uh, has been in Congress since 1912. Did I just say 1912? 20, I was going to say, that's long. <laughs> yes, that's ridiculous. Uh, 2012, and uh, she is on the Ways and Means Committee, which everybody knows uh, controls the money. It was a very influential committee. And uh, reflecting her tech background uh, and on, as an entrepreneur and as a former uh, uh, employee at Microsoft, she is co-chair of the Women's High Tech uh, caucus and of the Internet of Things caucus. We have to be honest, I did not know existed, but it's a good idea. Um, but uh, maybe most importantly, for the purposes of today's conversation, she is also chairwoman of the New, Demo New Democratic Coalition in the House, uh, which is the biggest grouping of uh, a philosophical grouping in the House. Uh, it represents what I would consider the pragmatic wing of the Democratic Party. And the NDC has just issued a, uh, a first 100-day agenda, which is very closely aligned with President Biden's agenda. And I'm certain that he will be looking to you, uh, Congresswoman, and the NDC to play a, a pivotal role in getting, getting that agenda done. But before we talk about you know, the NDC and your plans there as the new chairwoman, um, I have to ask you about the, uh, you know, the hot the, the story of the day, which of course is, uh, uh, today's vote to strip uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene of her committee assignments in the House. Uh, we saw last night that uh, the Republicans were not able to or not willing to do anything about her, despite her extreme views. And uh, I'm just curious, you know, I assume that that, that will be a strict party line vote. Uh, do you, would you expect uh, many Republican defections, that is from the leadership position, many Republicans who would... Uh, decide that somebody with her kind of views really has no place uh, uh, on the education committee and uh, the other committees she's been assigned to? Um, well, um, first, thanks for having me, Will. It's great to be here. And I'm really shocked that Republicans haven't taken action against uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, we should all stand up for, for truth um, to, for facts and data. And we should also stand up against these conspiracy theories and really a lot of the hateful comments that she has made. Um, they, the Repo I'm so shocked that Republicans haven't taken action on their own, but it is important, especially given all that's happened um, January 6th and all that's happened for, for folks to stand up. And so it there will be a vote this afternoon. Um, and I would hope that some Republicans would stand up as well, but um, yeah. it's unlikely. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's sad news because I mean, this, this woman, in case anybody hasn't been reading uh, or watching the news, uh, it, her views are way beyond the pale uh, and particularly uh, revolting considering that she's uh, been assigned to the education committee after making ridiculous claims at uh, school shootings in Parkland and elsewhere were staged as a anti-gun by anti-gun activists or something like that. Uh, crazy stuff. But it was fascinating, uh, Congresswoman, because last night the Republican caucus uh, decided not to censor or, or strip uh, 
uh, Representative Cheney of her leadership position. In fact, uh, Liz Cheney, she got 145 votes, secret balloting uh, there uh, in the Republican caucus. Uh, so what's going on? Who's winning the Republican Civil War? On the one hand, Cheney criticizes Trump and says rightly that he was responsible for this uh, seditious attack on the Congress and the Capitol. Uh, and on the other hand, they give a standing ovation to uh, Marjorie Greene. I don't think it's clear what Republicans stand for right now, where their basic values are, um, with all that happened on January 6th, and really this need to stand up against the, against the violence that took place, against the instigation of that violence. Um, this didn't just happen. Uh, this didn't just happen on a day. This was a series of decisions that Republicans have made over time not to stand up to really hateful comments that the president has made, his own uh, President Trump, um, his own uh, support for conspiracy theories and spreading disinformation. Um, Republicans have. It's important that all of us stand up for what's right um, and speak out. And unfortunately, Republicans hadn't been willing to do that for so long throughout mm -hmm. the Trump administration. And now it's important that they do too. And we're not seeing that with respect to Marjorie Taylor Greene. And so I'm not sure where they stand, what they stand for um, when it comes to these basic values and supporting our constitution. Right, and just, uh, was it just, uh, well, 2019, I guess they did expel uh, or, or knock uh, uh, Steve King from Iowa uh, off uh, off his committee assignments, a Republican who had uh, wondered what was wrong with the, the idea of white supremacy. But uh, it seems that the new Republican Party sort of maybe traumatized by uh, Donald Trump, you know, anything goes. There's no, there no boundaries. You can say anything, no matter how crazy it is or believe anything and act on it. And uh, there's just absolutely no guardrails left on the Republican side. So, so it is really worrisome. And we'll, we'll see how that, that vote uh, goes today. I'm sure the Democrats will, will make sure she's kicked off those committees, but uh, uh, the Republicans probably will do anything further to discipline her. So that, that bodes not very well for any prospects of, you know, bipartisanship in the House, I assume. I mean, we've seen, you know, the Biden administration, the president talking to uh, some moderate Democrat, excuse me, Republican senators about his COVID relief package. Uh, are there any signs uh, of uh, issues where there might, uh, where you, where moderate and reasonable Democrats in the, in the House might be able to find common ground with Republicans and work with them on? Well, first of all, um, the top priority today is addressing the pandemic, um, making sure that we have a strong public health response and a strong economic response. Um, that should be highly bipartisan. Um, every community across the country has been impacted. And as we work on a package, um, there are some pieces that we've seen some Republican support, uh, but Frankly, they need to come to the table to really do a broad package because this is an unprecedented time. Every economist that we've talked to has talked about how important it is that we have a strong response um, because that leads to a stronger economic recovery. Um, if we don't invest in helping uh, keep our communities strong during this crisis, the, the economic impact will stretch on for much longer. And right. so there's been strong data to support that. Um, we 
we have passed packages in the past. And I think what the one thing that's shown us is if we had done something bigger, um, which Democrats have been pushing for earlier, um, we wouldn't be having the debates that we're having right now. So um, this can be bipartisan uh, and I still hope that it is. Um, and as new Dems, we're gonna continue to work to build strong support because in the end, people across the country wanna see governance work again. Um, they wanna see us making a difference. They're tired of the gridlock that we saw, especially mm -hmm. over the last four years. So this is an incredible opportunity and we're gonna work closely with the Biden administration to and the Senate to, to move forward and to govern. Right, well, what is, what is, what do you see as the biggest sticking point to getting some Republican support for uh, the Biden package? Um, I think that it, that the we're going to need Republicans to have courage to actually take a vote, to stand up and say what they're for, and understand the impact uh, that this has uh, on policy has on our communities. Uh, so. Um, that's why we're continuing to move forward uh, to use every tool that's possible in terms of even using uh, reconciliation, which also can be bipartisan so that we can have, get it through the Senate. Um, and there's no reason that Republicans can't join us in that effort as they look at the specifics of the policy and what we're going to do. So we'll continue to work that way. But what's so important is that um, we act quickly because mm -hmm. We have policies that expire unemployment, for example, on March 14th. People can't wait. That's what happened when Mitch McConnell took a pause last year. So we need to move quickly and, um, and we're gonna do that um, because it's so critical for the country right now. Right. Well, let's 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 turn to you know the NDC and its its priorities. You've got a hundred days uh, agenda. Uh, you know, that obviously puts pandemic relief right at front, front and center. Uh, but say, if, say another word or two, if you wouldn't mind, about what, you know, what the NDC is giving its uh, priority to in addition to that. So um, we recently released our 100-day agenda and really um, put kind of four key pillars in place that are driving our work. Um, one is ending the pandemic and getting people back to work. Um, one is modernizing our infrastructure, combating climate change and creating jobs. So important as we look at recovery. Um, one is protecting and expanding Americans' health care. Uh, we need to make sure that we continue to build on the Affordable Care Act and make sure that everyone has affordable quality health care in our country. Um, and, the, and restoring American le global leadership. We saw the past administration just how they broke alliances and made it very difficult um, kind of on a go on your own strategy. So um, we think it's very important that we re-engage with the international community and, um, and restore our role as global leader. Um, so those are our four key pillars mm -hmm. um, that we're focused on. And we also have priorities as part of the relief package so that we can make sure we get the resources out to our communities that they need. Thanks. Tell me what you know. How you define the distinctiveness of the NDC? You know, what, what is it that attracts members to the NDC, and what what are the signature issues that uh, that you all care most about? And they that uh, uh, you know that uh, I mean, you just you just touched on on several of them, obviously, but. Uh, 
but, but you know, your role is cru crucial in the House because you all are uh, uh, more on the moderate side and I think less, less prone to make kind of maximalist demands and, and more interested in seeing if there's a way to resume problem solving in Washington, right? So just say, say a word, please, about, you know, the caucus and what, what draws uh, people to, I mean, the coalition, what draws people to it? Well, we're one of the largest ideological caucuses in the House. Um, we really represent the expansion of the Democratic Party beyond the traditional kind of urban base into purple districts like mine. Um, and we really are the reason that we have the majority and we're key to holding the majority in the House. Um, and I, you know, when we talk about new Dems, we talk about wanting to see governance work again and that we are, are a coalition that wants to get to yes, because we know the only way we truly have an impact um, and help with the American people is by getting things across the finish line um, through the House, through the Senate, and signed by the President. So, um, especially within majorities in the House and the Senate, that coalition building is going to be so important, and we really play a critical role. We are focused on ending the pandemic, reopening schools, and our economy safely, um, addressing healthcare, infrastructure, climate change, immigration, so many important issues that are impacting our nation. And, um, and we know that by using our size and, um, and just the collective effort of our members that we can really push forward looking policies um, across the finish line and um, work with our colleagues, with com committee chairs, with congressional leadership, Senate um, and the administration to achieve results. So um, that's what kind of, uh, I think right now we have an incredible opportunity um, to really move things forward. And so I'm excited to be chair at this time. Oh, say another word about your, your district because obviously the members of the NDC uh, represent more competitive districts, swing districts, uh, you know, and uh, you, you said yours is purple, but I, I looked at the, I looked at your recent re-election results. I'm, I'm not sure it's uh, purple anymore. It's, it's beginning to look very blue. <laughs> uh, so congratulations to you for really uh, getting a positive verdict from your, uh, from your constituents. But uh, uh, just say, say another word about your particular district. I think people would be interested in in what kind of uh, folks you represent? So um, my district is urban and rural. It's a very diverse economy from being a global technology hub to parts of my district that don't even have um, rural broadband or even good cell service. Um, I, part of my district is manufacturing and agriculture. Um, and technology, so very diverse, diverse economically too, and very diverse politically. I think every point of view is represented in my district. Um, and I, that's important because to make good decisions that impact the country, we need to hear those differing points of view. Right. I may not always agree, um, but really to come up with good policy, it's important that we listen. And so my district was drawn to be the most evenly divided in the country in the last uh, redistricting. We're obviously coming up on that again. And so I think that having a district like mine has made me a better legislator. And I think that's true of a lot of folks throughout the New Dems who have purple districts. It's tougher um, when it comes to elections. 
um, because of the bright blue and the bright, bright red districts aren't changing, aren't the targets every cycle, right. but the purple ones are. Right. And so, um, but if we want to see governance work, I think it's important that we really understand the needs that uh, across the country in a district like mine really does represent those uh, kind of the diversity of our country and so important to making sure we have good policy. Right, and, and as you pointed out, because you're the competitive districts, you know, when Democrats are in the majorities because we win more districts like yours. And uh, it's not, you know, we're maxed out on the deep blue districts, you know, on the, the urban districts we, we've done, gone as, we, we've won as many of those as we can. And it's really the other areas of the country where Democrats have to be competitive in order to uh, be in majorities and govern. So let me let me turn now, uh, Congresswoman, to an issue that you're particularly uh, uh, well suited to talk about, and that's modernizing the economy for the digital age. You were you were a tech entrepreneur. Uh, you worked at Microsoft. You, you're the author of several important bills for uh, you know data security and government to restrict government surveillance or and uh, to assure uh, online privacy. Um, you know, there, this is, this has become five years ago that all might've been, uh, sort of maybe uncontroversial, but obviously there's been a kind of a, a backlash against big tech, uh, in the country and in, in the democratic party, you, you had these uh, hearings. So Congressman Cicilline had this uh, big uh, hearing, uh, at the end of last year about concentration in the tech industry, you know, I'd, I'd be really interested in your thoughts about uh, how you and how the new Democrats think about uh, the role of technological innovation in, in the economy and, and big tech platforms in particular. Well, um, new Dems are forward looking and we know how important it is that policy is up to date with the way the world works today. And, um, and that we understand where things are headed so we can anticipate that. Much of our policy with respect to technology is we're, we're far behind. Um, and it's not just about uh, catching up, but it's about um, seeing where things are headed. And um, it's unfortunate that we haven't made more progress. So that's been a big goal of mine. Um, it, so start in places like connectivity. Uh, and I told you about my district being rural and urban. Well, it's uh, also the home of a, a lot of technology and yet we still don't have broadband throughout my district. So connectivity is critically important. Something that we believe is a top priority understanding we might use different technologies to get that connectivity, but there's no excuse for, uh, for us to have the disparities that we do um, in terms of access to broadband. And those disparities mean that um, certain communities are falling further behind, both in economic opportunity, but also if you look today during the pandemic um, in educational opportunities for children, um, so that's very important. We need to make sure we get broadband out there and that it's affordable because we also know in areas where we do have connectivity, we have um, folks who can't afford access and that only widens disparities that we have in our communities. Um, also, you talked about um, um, the economy, uh, the, the way the economy works has changed over the years. And it's a combination of 
thinking about how our economy works and thinking about jobs and what types of jobs we have today and where what types of opportunities could be there in the future. As New Dems, we're going to keep fighting to create quality jobs and close that digital divide. We also have to understand that we have a geographic disparity in terms of economic opportunity and access and that we have challenges with things like benefits. Um, we have to support innovative policies to make sure that our workforce has access to benefits um, in new types of jobs. Um, I've been working with Senator Warner on portable benefits legislation, um, but it's so important that we don't that workers aren't left out. Um, privacy, you talked about uh, how important uh, legislation is when we come to protecting consumers. Um, consumer data privacy is about as fundamental as it gets. It's been a major focus of mine. We don't have a domestic policy. We have uh, we have um, international policies like in Europe with GDPR, but we don't have a domestic U.S. policy. Um, yeah. States have been working uh, individually, but um, as we've seen with with Europe and the privacy shield being struck down, that we have to, if we're going to compete internationally as well, we've got a domestic policy to have a voice at the international table. So it's a consumer rights issue. It's an international trade issue. We have to address this from many fronts and we're not going to get to deeper um, technology issues like AI and facial recognition if we don't have foundational privacy policy. So there's so many things we need to do, um, but that would be a good place to start. Well, thanks. I'm glad you mentioned Europe. Uh, as it happens, PPI has an office in Brussels. We do a lot of work there. We particularly do a lot of work on uh, economic issues and technology issues because they're very much at the center of European regulators thinking these days. And they've targeted what they call FANG, you know, the, <laughs> the big four tech companies uh, for uh, fines and and act, regulatory actions. And of course, they, a lot of it has to do with what they see as lax privacy protections in the United States. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we also think that they, uh, yeah, and, and digital taxes, they want to raise money, <laughs> frankly, from American tech companies. So this, this tech lash I talked about is happening both in US politics, but it's really happening in Europe. And, Glad to hear you talking about it because when we go to Brussels, they're not always aware of the congressional view, you know, on these issues. And uh, but with the Biden administration and with the work that you're doing, I hope that you know uh, that we can get back into a conversation with uh, our friends in Europe uh, who have been alienated, frankly, by the previous president. You know about how we can come up with common standards, and so we're not fighting each other on technology policy. I've been to Brussels a few times myself speaking <laughs> on these very issues. I'm sure. Um, and it is really important, one, that we have privacy policy um, to address things like the privacy shield and, and the ability for information to move back and forth. And I just want to highlight that when we talk about things like privacy policy, it's not just a, a tech policy for the sake of tech. This is a policy that impacts every industry, um, every sector. And so these, because everyone's using technology in some way, shape or form. So these are really fundamental pol fundamental policies. And when you talk about taxes, digital service taxes, the push there, um, there is an issue. We need to address the issue of digital goods. Uh, most tax policy was based on physical goods and physical presence. 
And as our economy has changed, the global economy has changed, policies didn't change as much. So the OECD has been working on a kind of a, a global policy here right. to address this. I think that's important versus um, seeing some of the digital services taxes that have been proposed um, move forward, which really have been targeted specifically at US companies. I think we need to solve this um, understanding that this is a, a will be an ongoing issue. Um, so I hope that there is um, a, a collective effort to let the OECD do its work so that we come up with a policy that will work for all parties right. and, and serve us going forward. Uh, thank you, that's really important. I ho hope to see you at Brussels next time we're, we're there. We, we, we're we take congressional delegations uh, staff over there and it's just really important to have these kind of uh, connections and conversations with the, 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 the people in the, in the bowels of the, of the European Commission who sort of work these issues every day. Um, well, look, let me talk, uh, turn the conversation a little bit uh, to uh, House politics, and I mean House democratic politics. Uh, the NDC is a wonderful group. Uh, it's not the only, uh, it's not the only uh, caucus, uh, ideological caucus in the House, and obviously you've got the progressives. And, you know, they are very sometimes impatient in pushing uh, this president to do things uh, uh, that, uh, they think are, are, are really important. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, so he's under pressure, not just from, you know, conservative intransigence and obstructionism, which every Democrat sees, unfortunately, when they come here, but uh, also, also from uh, the Democratic left, which wants to prioritize uh, uh, issues, but what really I would I would I would say what really uh, is encouraging the president to just forget about bipartisanship, rule in a single party way, take advantage of the very narrow Democratic majority in the House and the you know the really you know narrow 50-50 margin in the Senate to to just do it uh, uh, do what uh, they would like to see done and not engage the other side. Um, you know, are you all, do you find yourself in a position of pushing back against that kind of logic from, from uh, the left wing of the party? Well, I think, um, first of all, the Democratic caucus is not a monolith. Uh, it's very diverse. And I think that is one of our strengths. Um, we have folks who represent, as we were talking about earlier, represent very blue um, districts. And then we have folks who represent purple districts that uh, go from the suburbs into rural areas like mine. Um, and I think we share a lot of the same goals. We are a party of the people. Um, you know, sometimes our differences are more about how we achieve those goals than what the goals are. So, um, but when we really talk about mo moving forward and getting things done, um, we all have to keep in mind on the house side that the magic number is 218. We don't get something done if we don't get 218 votes and get it through. And um, that's, the critical part in terms of making governance work to make sure that we uh, realize that we have this unique opportunity with the House, the Senate, and the Biden administration to really get things done. We have to make that happen. And so it's going to mean that folks have to listen to each other. Um, and I think new Dems as representatives of very diverse districts have an opportunity to really represent that collective point of view, um, understand what uh, difference, um, a different view someone in a rural community might have than an urban community, for example. 
and um, and make sure that we build that coalition the necessary to get a bill across the finish line. Um, Congress was designed to be a place of give and take, of compromise. It wasn't uh, my way or the highway. That's not how our government works. And I think the president talked about this at, at his inauguration about how we need to sit and talk, but we also have to get things done. And so um, we're very, it's not always easy, but that's our focus. And I think we have a great opportunity. And I think new Dems have a key role to play in leading the way. Thanks. I, I, I'm glad you talked about, you know, different districts because uh, uh, I spoke with Connor Lamb on this podcast recently. And, you know, there is, I think, uh, you know, uh, uh, maybe a underappreciation with on the Democratic side, uh, and particularly with our friends who have really safe blue districts about just how hard it is to compete, you know, in the kind of competitive places that you and a lot of the folks in the in the NDC have to run. How do we? What do we need to do? Get them on buses and bring them to you know bring AOC to uh, rural Pennsylvania or to uh, your district. Uh, you know, uh, how, how do you sensitize the uh, the left of the party to you know what it takes to actually win enough seats to stay in the majority to get to two eighteen? This is a serious question because I don't think you know there's due appreciation for the variation in districts, you know, it's just, you know, because folks who have, uh, you know, 60, 70, 80% Democratic districts, it doesn't matter, you know, those are always going to be Democratic districts, it almost doesn't matter what the politics of them are. Well, I think um, the obviously getting folks to kind of share ideas to listen to go see is always a, a great opportunity, we can do that. And that's been even harder during the pandemic for folks to go visit other areas, et cetera. Many things have been just like we're doing right now, online types of connections. So, um, but that is gonna be important um, both within the broad democratic caucus, but also when we work across the aisle with others to, um, to understand and hopefully learn and build strength and also address the divide that's in our country. Um, the one thing that we do to address this divide is to take the time to talk to people who we disagree with. Um, there's people who have very extreme views, don't get me wrong, and that may not be the place, but there's a lot of folks in our country who, um, who really are yearning for uh, governance to work, for folks to have debates, healthy debates, respected, um, respectful debates, and to figure out ways to come together. And so we need to do that, uh, that outreach. We need to listen. And we also need to be clear that um, how we're gonna move forward, understanding that no one in a legislative body, no one person gets to say uh, how things move forward. The way we move forward is by building a strong majority to get there. And mm -hmm. so I think that is opportunity. And a big difference that we have this time is having an administration who agrees with that. Um, I think the new, new Dem coalition is very aligned with the Biden administration. And now we have leaders, unlike the last four years where there really wasn't leadership coming from the White House or others in terms of how policy moved forward. I do think that leadership is critical because instead of just talking about something, you know there's a chance to actually enact policy. Um, that leadership will be critical to, to move forward and so exciting that we have this new administration and um, that we can work with um, at all levels, right? With different agencies, et cetera. Yeah, it really is. But 
you know, but you've got this problem in the country, which you put your finger on, and that is that a lot of uh, folks on the other side uh, seem to inhabit a different universe, right? They get their information from different sources, and you just can't help but be struck by, particularly somebody like me that's been watching this since uh, 1980 when I moved to Washington, you can't help but be struck by how much the today's Republican Party is just motivated by animus toward their opponents and toward government itself and toward the media, the deep state, uh, libs, uh, you name it. Uh, it. It really, I think that this is a really, a the Biden administration, the Democratic majority has really posed a test of whether the Republicans have any governing ideas at all, or it's just no, 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 just antagonism, just uh, trying to find ways to spite uh, their political opponents. Uh, it's a it's a kind of remarkable uh, remarkable moment and and the great thing about President Biden's victory was that he reached he did reach across uh, the aisle and he won he won uh, Republican voters who had been alienated from Trump that was quite a political achievement and uh, I think gives him an extra dimension that you know uh, the Republicans are going to have to contend with and that. That maybe is a good way to move to uh, another political question to you, which is the midterm election. Uh, Speaker McCarthy went down to uh, Florida to, uh, to genuflect before Donald Trump and, and they vowed to retake the House. Uh, Republicans retake the House in two years. You know, how do you think, what, what are your thoughts about how Democrats hold on to this broader uh, Biden coalition? Uh, you know, and 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 win in those competitive places where you've got to win suburban voters. You've got to win college educated white voters, which Biden did. Uh, you can't just look at base turnout as your electoral strategy. Well, um, first we need to show what we can do, right? Uh, make sure that we're listening to our constituents and um, show them that we can govern. Um, so that's why it's so critical in this two year period that we move forward, why it's important that we get COVID um, relief out to our communities. Um, they want to see, as I said, governance work, and that's going to be very important because in the end, uh, folks want to know what their member of Congress has done to help serve their community. And the strongest, uh, um, the strongest thing that you can tell your community is what you did and, and who you are. Mm -hmm. So that will be very important as we head into 2022. This is a little more unpredictable because we have redistricting. And so not everyone knows what their district is going to look like. Um, they can change in different ways and different states have different ways of doing redistricting. Um, that means that in some places it will be driven more politically than um, based on kind of keeping, keeping kind of doing unbiased redistricting as much as that is possible. So um, we're gonna see a lot of differences there and that can be very concerning depending on how a state might approach it. But the most important thing we can stand on is the work that we've done. And we will go back. We are as a coalition looking at what um, all the learnings we can gather from the 2020 cycle. Um, differences in different regions um, and different uh, individual elections. Um, so as we look at that, I think that's also important information for us going forward. So um, it obviously, it will, um, we have to assume it will be a challenging cycle. Midterm elections always are challenging, especially for the party that has the White House. 
Um, but if we can get things done and show people the work that we can do, I think we have a great opportunity moving forward um, after moving into the 2022 election. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm told, uh, Congresswoman, that we're just about out of time. So uh, I want to thank you very much for taking time out of uh, what I know is a very busy day in Congress to be with us. Just a final uh, point then, and, and you hit on it again, you know, that the proof is in the pudding for voters. Deliver. A government that delivers results is going to be so important. I know that's what the New Democratic Coalition stands for. It's why we love you guys uh, and want to do everything we can to help you. Uh, and and I'm, I'm just going to say that, you know, in addition to these, uh, the substantive priorities that you laid out in the NDC, I hope we could work with you on just how you make the machinery of government work better, because I do think uh, 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 Democrats do better when they talk about reinventing uh, a, a government that seems sometimes to be stuck. We saw in the pandemic, we didn't have, uh, we, we had obsolete software and all those uh, state unemployment offices that didn't work properly, broke down. So we saw ways where there was dysfunction in the, in the CDC and testing and getting equipment, uh, uh, PPS to everybody, PPE to everybody. So uh, that, that's another potent theme. And we'd be just delighted to work with the new the NDC and you on, on that agenda too, which we think is gonna be an important part of it going forward. So with that little advertisement for uh, where, where we might do some work together, uh, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, we're delighted that you are leading this really important force. It's gonna be pivotal in the, to the, this president's success and I would say to the country's success. So um, we're with you and uh, wish you the best. Thanks, Well, look forward to the work we can do together and um, everyone please stay safe and stay healthy.